scripture reading today um, comes from Acts 2, 1 through 12. Um, we're going to do something a little new today with our scripture reading. Um, today we're looking at the story of Pentecost, um, where this Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles and enabled them to speak in many languages represented in that area at that time. So as a way to illustrate the heart of this story, we have portions of our reading read in Spanish, Vietnamese, and Berber from our friends Manny, John, and Fatima. Additionally, we'll have the text translated in sign language by Nathan. Feel free to read along in your Bible or through the words on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Acts 2, 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Todos fueron llenos del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en diferentes lenguas, según el Espíritu les concedía expresarse. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? No son Galileos todos estos que están hablando? ¿Cómo es que cada uno de nosotros los oye hablar en su lengua materna? Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Todos por igual los oímos proclamar en nuestra propia lengua las maravillas de Dios. Desconcertados y perplejos se preguntaron, ¿qué quiere decir esto? This is the word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. Thank you all uh, for, for leading us in that time. That was beautiful. Um, what a beautiful picture, too, of what is communicated in our text in Acts chapter 2. And so, um, yeah, thank you. Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that beautiful? I, I, you can applaud that. You're allowed to applaud. <laughs> um, my name is Reed Kappel, and I have the joy of getting to be the pastor here of Trinity. And so, um, if you're new, if you're a guest, I'm glad you're here. And I, uh, as Lori mentioned at the beginning, uh, we'd love to know you and get to know you and to share our stories uh, one of it with another. And so I'd love to meet you, connect with you after the service. And so whatever brings you uh, into this space and whatever you bring with you into this space, uh, my hope and prayer is that you would know that you are seen and loved by us, but more abundantly by the God of all creation. And so let's take a moment to pray to this God as we turn to our text this morning in Acts 2. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the creator of all things. For from you and through you and to you are all things. And Lord, we are some of those things whom you have created. And yet we are not just things. We are people made in your image whom you love, whom you adore. And so Lord, what I ask in this time is that through your spirit, through the comforter, through the revealer of truth, through the one who brings life, would you awaken us to the truth that through Christ Jesus, we have found a way to be brought back into right standing, right relationship with you. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to have a wider scope to see your hand at work in our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, and beyond the places that we can even see. For you are the God of all creation. You are the God of all peoples. Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we narrow-mindedly, myopically see your hand at work. And so stretch our imagination to behold your great beauty and glory in all of creation as the God of all peoples. And so, Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. All right, so uh, if you've been here for a few Sundays, you know one of the things that I've kind of fallen in love with doing is getting to talk to some of our kids who are in the service. So, kids, where am I at? Let me see some armpits. Where are the kids at? Okay, do you guys have armpits? Okay, I see armpits, good. Okay, so, one of the things I'd love to do is to give you a little bit of kind of a, a preview of what we're gonna talk about in kid version, which is very comfortable for me. I, I think more like a child. I, that's, I'm more at home in the mind of a child. But what we're gonna talk about, uh, I wanna illustrate it by using something that you might be familiar with, which I don't even know if they still do this, actually, but do you guys know what the food pyramid is? Do they, is the food pyramid still a thing? No, it's not still a thing. Okay, we, we've got, done away with the food pyramid. Well, let's just pretend it's 1991, uh, and, and we have learned the food pyramid. The food pyramid is this idea of how you're supposed to have a healthy, balanced diet. That you aren't just supposed to eat a whole bunch of one food item. You're supposed to have a good blend of fruits and vegetables, of meats and proteins and pastas and things like that. Again, this is probably obsolete information, but the idea is that we don't just need to eat healthy food, we need to have a variety of healthy foods. That the way in which we sustain a healthy diet is to have a blend of things from different categories of foods. 
In the same way, so when you think about that, to be healthy, we have to have a balanced diet of all these different types of foods. In the same way, the way for us to understand the fullness of who God is requires us to lean into relationship with one another. Because each and every one of us has a particular way of seeing the world, of understanding how things operate. We have lenses that we see all of reality through. And if we aren't careful, we will assume that our way of seeing things is the only way to see things. And we will end up being like a person who only eats dairy, and that's not going to be really healthy for anybody. I don't want to hang out with anybody who just eats dairy. That's dangerous, you know. But if we only rely on our own understanding, our own cultural perspectives, and we don't lean in and learn from and understand how other people see and understand God, we will miss out on the fullness of what it means to be the, God, to be the people of God who is the God of all people. And so what we're going to look at today in our passage in Acts chapter 2 is this one idea. So if there's one idea you take from our time, I want it to be this. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, God cannot be contained or conveyed by one culture. The God of all creation cannot be contained or conveyed. He cannot be communicated by just one culture. And if we don't understand that... We run the risk and fall into the potential danger of believing that our way of seeing things is the only way and the right way, when that may not be the case. So our one idea is that God cannot be contained or conveyed by one culture. The Church of Jesus Christ is the most ethnically diverse group of people and movement in human history. This, this is absolutely true. I mean, and especially when you think about uh, the comparison of the Christian faith to other major world religions. I've probably shared this with you before, but when you look at major world religions and where the followers of those religions reside, where they live, the vast majority of the world religions, the dense population of those followers live near the origin of where that religion began. But Christianity doesn't. Followers of Jesus are spread around the globe precisely because the plan of God from the beginning is to make a people from all peoples. You have, that's why you have, if you look at a map of Christians around the world, you won't find them densely populated near Jerusalem. They're spread around the world in South America and Sub-Saharan Africa and pockets of Asia. It's beautiful to see that God's plan is to call a people from all peoples. And we see that in this passage in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of this movement in Acts chapter 2. So what I want to do first is just kind of explain what happened in this passage, because it's a little bit complex, and there's a lot going on, okay? So first, what happened? So the story of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was a, a Jewish festival. It was a harvest festival that took place 50 days after Passover. That's where Penta comes from. Penta meaning five, you have 50, 50 days after the Passover. And it was a celebration that was typically associated with the giving of the law uh, from God to Moses at Mount Sinai. And I won't go into all the details here, but there's actually a lot of similarities between the story of Moses getting the law and the story of Pentecost here. A lot of similarities. If you're interested, you can read them side by side. 
But we come to Acts chapter 1, and we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit falling upon the disciples in a beautiful, miraculous, powerful way. But there's a reason for this in not just displaying the power of God, but the purpose of God. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 4. It's on the screen as well. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues or different languages as the Spirit enabled them. So this is the story of the Holy Spirit filling the apostles, the beginning of the launch of the Christian church, and the miracle that takes place at Pentecost is not just to show how mighty God is, but to show the scope of his message and plan, which is to make a people for all peoples. That the first miracle of the Holy Spirit filling the disciples is to give them the ability to speak the languages of the people who are in that community. Some people read this passage and think that the the apostles were given a spiritual language, but that's not what's going on. They're actually given the power to speak the language of the people that live in that community who did not understand the common language of the day. The disciples were miraculously able to speak in other languages in order that those culturally and linguistically different from them could understand and that they could be awakened to the power of God. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit arriving upon the apostles. We see that in verses 7 through 8. They were astounded. People around them who were watching this, they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Now, I want to illustrate, I want you to try to place yourself in the sandals, if you will, of of someone at Pentecost, okay? And imagine you are somebody who speaks a particular language and you're in an area that doesn't speak your language, okay? So maybe you've had that experience. For those of us who maybe where English is not our first language, you definitely know this experience. And imagine in a moment, you're in an environment where most people around you don't speak your language and then all of a sudden you hear someone speaking your native language and think about how comforting that feels. Like you're like, oh, it feels like home. Like if you're in another country and someone speaks your language, it doesn't matter what they're saying. They might say like, this ice cream made me bloated. You're like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. When you hear someone speak your language, you feel at home. And that is precisely what God is doing in this story. He is trying to communicate that the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, made clear through the giving of the Holy Spirit, is to make a home for people who don't feel at home where they are. This is the message of Pentecost. There is something powerful when you feel connected to your cultural language when you are somewhere else that isn't your native home. Last week, I was in Chicago at our denomination's pastor's conference. It's called Midwinter because it's in the middle of winter. We're not very creative in our denomination with titles. But the point being, we were in this beautiful worship service. And you may not know this about our denomination, the covenant denomination. It is a wildly beautiful, diverse denomination. And we were a part of this worship service with people from all over the world. And there was this moment during a song where we began to sing in Spanish. And you could hear and feel the joy increase as Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters in that space were able to sing in their native language. And then we began singing in Korean, and you felt that palpable joy of people singing in their native tongue. There's something about feeling at home that is a profound experience when you are away from home. 
And that is exactly what Pentecost is trying to convey, that God has come to make a home for all peoples who may not feel as though they are at home where they are. The Spirit brings unity amongst these people groups by utilizing the diversity of languages present, and that is by design. It is not just to impress people with a miracle, but to convey the heart of God. Why? Because God cannot be contained in one language or one culture, and he cannot be conveyed in one language and one culture. And so in verses 9 through 11, we read these words uh, that Rachel read for us very bravely with all these different like, languages and, and cultures and places. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. And then he's, uh, Luke records for us this, these words. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. The purpose of Pentecost, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in many ways, is to reveal, to convict, to unite, and to empower people so that they might declare the magnificent acts of God. It is not just to make us feel a sense of, uh, of belonging and power, although that is true, but the Holy Spirit is meant to reveal to all people so that they might declare the magnificent acts of God. God is making it known here that it will take all peoples and all languages to properly convey and contain his glory. It is not just reserved for one people, one nation, one culture, one language. God cannot be contained or conveyed by one culture. So, so that's what's happening at Pentecost. But what does it mean? What, what does the significance of the story have for us? What does it mean? And so, so this is what happens. So Peter gets up now and tries to kind of explain what's happening. And, and he does so by, by, by a, a verse that always makes me chuckle, verse 15. Because uh, some people claim that they were drunk uh, based on this behavior. So Peter says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's, not, it's only nine in the morning. Which is just very interesting. Peter's never been to an international airport, clearly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just, that's a whole other story, but not my story, just to be clear. I was never drunk in an airport at 9 a.m. Um, sorry. Anyway, so the point being, the point being is that Peter's trying to explain this is not a matter of wine overtaking people. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to explain what is happening by quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel. And I want to read this very quickly here, verses 17 through 21. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now there's too much there to unpack, but the point that Peter is making here is that the miracle of Pentecost, the miracle of people speaking multiple languages, is not just to kind of impress us with the power of God, but to show us the heart of God. It, it is a miracle that is not just experienced through the ear, but through the heart. That what we see at Pentecost is God's love for all peoples. Just as Jesus' miracles were never meant to just be a display of his power. Like, if Jesus really wanted to display that he was the son of God, he'd be like, let me harness a fireball in my hands. Like, that would be a way to show his power. But his miracles were always to point to a truth, 
about the kingdom of God. In the same way, Pentecost is a miracle that tells us about the heart of God. And the heart of God is this, that he has come to make a way for all peoples to be brought to Jesus Christ. Amen? That that is the message of Pentecost. The power of Pentecost is not that the Holy Spirit empowered people to speak in different languages. It is that God is now making a way for all peoples to be united together through himself. And this is not just a display of God's power. It is a display of God's heart for all people. Willie James Jennings, I have mentioned him in his commentary on Acts, says this beautifully. He says, those gathered in prayer asked for power. They may have asked for the Holy Spirit to come, but they did not ask for this. This is real grace, untamed grace. And it is the grace that replaces our fantasies of power over people with God's fantasy for desire for people. We have a tendency to use power over others, but what we see in Pentecost is that the power of God is precisely given in order to make those who are far drawn near. Pentecost is showing the power of God, the heart of God, and the mission of God. And it is all centered around this idea that Jesus is the king of all peoples and that his salvation is offered to all. And, and there's too much here to kind of get into, but, but Peter goes on to talk about, he references these other passages in the Old Testament that talk about King David and, and how the Messiah who would come would be a greater king. So I'm, I'm going to skip those verses, Landon. You can skip these next passages. Sorry for doing that. Um, but, but what we see in this passage is that Peter is trying to show Jesus is king of all peoples. Uh, in their commentary, uh, Linda Maloney and Ivani Reimer, they, they describe essentially, here's how you would sum up what Peter's trying to say in Acts, in his sermon here. He says, they say this, the essence of the apostolic proclamation is to bring to the attention, so essentially the essence of what Peter is saying is to bring to the attention of God's people and through them to the whole world that God is powerfully at work in the world in Jesus and now after his exaltation, through the Holy Spirit. Now, lest we think this is just about helping people have good theology, although, I mean, it's no less than that, the story of Pentecost also shows us the intimate love of God. The Holy Spirit empowering the disciples to speak other languages at Pentecost is a way of God showing his love for all peoples. As I said earlier in that illustration, when you hear someone speaking your language, you feel at home. I recently saw this video uh, randomly of, of a, a groom um, uh, uh, who, was, who secretly learned how to speak Korean uh, the year that he was engaged to his Korean uh, fiance. And at their wedding, he spoke to her Korean parents in Korean, telling them how much he loves them and loves their daughter. And you can imagine how powerful that would have been for them to hear that in their native language. It's a way of conveying, communicating love. In a much larger way, this is what Pentecost is. It is God speaking the language of humanity to us by giving us his spirit so that we might know him and be known by him. God cannot be contained or conveyed by just one culture. And it's from this point at Pentecost that the, the, the global movement of the church bursts forth. That what we see in Acts 2 and as it unfolds throughout the rest of the book is we see the movement of the Holy Spirit taking place in all peoples, moving around the globe, and yes, finally reaching to us here today. 
that the story of Acts and the explosion that took place in this moment has reached, the reverberations of it, have reached Olathe, Kansas in a gym at Santa Fe Trail Middle School. That's the beauty of what this story is. It's not just something that took place in church history, but continues to have an impact on us today. And so, so, so why does all of this matter? Okay, so this, this may be helpful information. I'm giving some commentary to what's happening in the story, but why does it matter? Well, yes, God cannot be contained or conveyed by one culture. But there's more to it than that. There is no culture too low that God cannot lift up, and there is no culture too high that God cannot humble. That's what's happening in the story. The reason why this matters is that there is no culture, no person or people group that can feel so inferior that they cannot be lifted up and used by God. And we should be careful that that we never believe that any culture is so superior that they cannot be humbled by God. The message of Pentecost reveals and levels our cultural pride. That's what Pentecost does in some way. In fact, when when, uh, those around who heard the apostles speaking in their native tongue, they use this phrase, aren't these Galileans speaking? And that's not just a reference to where they were from. To to, to call someone a Galilean was not just a reference to where you are from, but it it was really a slanderous term because Galileans were the lowest of the low. And so there's almost this surprise, like how could these Galileans possibly know enough to speak my language? The Spirit falls upon the lowly class in order to actually bring revelation to the higher class. That's something that's also taking place here at Pentecost. It's actually very much in line with Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 2. When Mary talks about how God has lifted up the humble estate of Mary and has brought down the high and lifted up. What Pentecost is showing us, again, why this matters for us today is because we need to be on guard against the tendency to think that there is a unique, special people, group, or person, or culture that has some kind of elevated status in the kingdom of God. Dr. Charles Rigoyen says this, the miracle of Pentecost made it very clear that within the Christian community, no language should ever be more important than the other. That's why we displayed, as beautifully as we could, the various languages conveying this truth in our scripture reading this morning. And notice, it is not a leveling, this leveling that takes place at Pentecost. It's not a leveling that makes everybody the same. What happened at Pentecost was not making everyone speak the same language, but rather creating a unity from all of the diverse languages that were present. And so there is a necessity to leaning into the diversity of thought and reflection and culture and language in order to fully convey the picture of who God is. But we will miss this, and I want you to listen in. We will miss the goodness of this truth, that the gospel and the glory of God cannot be contained and conveyed by one culture if we think, either implicitly or explicitly, that our way of seeing things is the right way. Or even worse, if we don't even recognize that we have a way of seeing things in the first place. When I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I met Thomas Amos from Alabama. And Thomas Amos was a good friend of mine who I, I worked with at UPS. And I remember just like, I was like talking, it was like, Thomas, 
And I remember like wanting to tell him, like, he, you just have the craziest accent, dude, but I just didn't want to say that. And I remember we were driving to work one day, and he, he says to me, he goes, Reed, I got to say, you have the strangest accent. <laughs> and I looked, I was like, what? You're telling me, like, you're going to be, you're saying, Tom, I was like, you have the accent. You have the And so we got into this argument about who has the accent. It's like, I'm from the Midwest. We don't have an accent. That's what I told him. And if you've ever met anybody who's not from the Midwest, they would laugh at you if you said that. But I, I say that to illustrate this point. If you're from the Midwest, we tend to think that everybody else speaks weird. Like you're from Chicago, like you're from Southern California or whatever. Like we tend to think that other people have accents and that our way of speaking is normative. And what that does is that, I mean, it's a silly example, but when we believe that, we linguistically place ourselves above people, and we compare ourselves to them based on how we speak. And what Pentecost, what Pentecost is saying is that there is no room in the kingdom of God to have that kind of elitist, superior perspective. When we look at the world through a particular lens, which is not wrong, we all have lenses. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a lens. There's no way of denying and avoiding the fact that we have a certain way of seeing the world. But when we believe that our way of seeing things is just the way you see things, then we miss out on what it means to be a part of the diverse, beautiful body of Christ. I'll, I'll, this is one last quote that I'll, I'll end with, and then I have a couple action steps for us to consider. But uh, I've been reading, uh, rereading a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And, and it's a really helpful book to understand how we do tend to apply our Western culture, if you're from Western culture, to Scripture. Hear what E. Randolph Richards says about this. He says, our mores, mores are basically just kind of cultural practices that we just, we just kind of do because that's what our culture does. Our mores are a lens through which we view and interpret the world because mores are not universal. We may not be, because mores are not universal, we may not be aware that these different gut-level reactions to certain behaviors can affect the way we read the Bible. Indeed, if they are not made explicit, our cultural mores can lead us to misread the Bible. This is because our cultural mores can lead us to emphasize certain passages of Scripture and ignore others. Nathan uh, Chang and I were talking recently about how in Western culture there, there's this emphasis on understanding the particulars of something, the details of something. And in more Eastern culture, correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, but in more Eastern culture the idea was like there's actually a greater value on understanding the whole, the big picture. One is not better than the other. We need both to actually understand. You need to be able to see trees and forests. That's why we need one another to live into the fullness of what it means to be the body of Christ. Why? Because God cannot be contained or conveyed by one culture. So to close, I want to offer just three action steps for us. These were actually uh, things that we learned um, from our time with Celeste Chucky, who was with us a few months ago. And these are kind of summary action steps that we want to share with you. The first is this. As we think about trying to live into this reality of what we see in Pentecost, the first thing I would say is this, is gain a deeper understanding of our own culture. It's really important for us to know that we have a culture, and that's not bad. We don't need to shame ourselves for the fact that we have a culture, but we must be aware of the fact that we have a culture. If we don't, we will fall prey to the, the problem that I have with Thomas and claiming that he has an accent, but I don't. Second, appreciate the variety of cultures here and in our parish, in our community. 
How do we celebrate and rejoice and learn about the various cultures that are here within our church community, but as well as in our community in Olathe? That may look like things um, like stepping out of your comfort zone and being in a place where you might be the cultural minority. And for some of you, that's pretty easy. But I think it's really important for us to place ourselves in context where we might not be as culturally comfortable as a way to feel and identify with brothers and sisters of ours who may not be a part of that majority culture. And then thirdly, grow in cultural agility. We need to develop or strengthen our ability to shift and adapt to a variety of cultural expressions. That's why we had our scripture reading this morning in different languages. You may not have understood all of it, but it's a way to lean in to what it means to, to be the diverse body of Christ. So those are just a few things for us to consider as we live into this reality, as we take this first century text and bring it into the 21st century. The reason why all of this is important it's not just because it will help us grow in our value of multicultural family. It will not just help us uh, create multicultural relationships or even help us grow in our understanding of culture. The reason we do this is so that we might live out what we saw in Acts 2, so that people might see and declare the magnificent acts of God. It is a hollow thing to simply talk about diversity for diversity's sake. The goal of it is to actually proclaim the magnificent acts of God. It is no coincidence that the church exploded in the best sense of that word after what took place at Pentecost. Over 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ after this story. That's not just a coincidence and a witness to the power of God. It is a manifestation of what God is doing through all peoples. And so my hope and prayer is that we would be a people who see that Jesus is the king, not just my king and your king, but the king of all peoples. And that through his spirit, he has made a way for all peoples to know him and to be known by him. May that be true of our church so that we might display and declare the magnificent acts of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, I ask that what you would do through your spirit, that you would awaken within us the blind spots in each of us that prevents us from seeing and delighting and declaring your good acts, your magnificent acts that are done in all peoples, in all places around the world. Lord, forgive us where we have erred in the way of thinking that our way is the right way or our way is just the way. And so, Lord, help us to lean in. Help us to be a people who, who understand that there is no culture that can contain or convict the beauty and the glory of God. And so, Lord, open us up to this truth so that we might be your people, receptive and ready to receive your spirit, so that we might declare the magnificent acts of God to a world that is desperate for hope in this world. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.